Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, and here's John with our sponsors. Hey, everybody. This episode of Working Class Fishing is brought to you by Maxon Outfitters, Lid Rig, Angry Rooster Fly Company, Troutlander Nets, and Morris Fly Co. This evening, we have one of our good buddies, Justin Carnot. Justin, thanks so much for taking time out of your evening to come hang out and bullshit with us, man. Yeah, no, this works out good, man. I had to tie some bugs anyway. So uh, this is uh, just makes it all the more entertaining. I usually just sit down here by myself and, you know, listen to a podcast. Sometimes your podcast, sometimes, uh, you know, Smartless or Fly on the Wall or the Dan Levitard show. I like that one, too. So, um, so yeah, no, this is fun, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Man, we're, we're so happy to have you because both John and I listen to your podcast, number one. Uh, oh, cool. Number two, we're, we're way into, you know, what you're out doing, you know, the fishing, the guiding, everything else. I mean, you're kind of like this Swiss army knife of an outdoorsman and, and your family and everything else. And, you know, I know you're going to laugh about that, but, yeah, you know, sure. but there's, there's, you do a lot of stuff and it's really cool. And so it's exciting for us to have you on though, because we've built, you know, this really cool friendship over the last year with you. And, um, you know, it started with John coming on to your guys's podcast. And then, you know, I was like, Hey, who are these guys? And then I start listening to you guys. And I was listening to you guys while I was out running or working out or stuff like that. And, and, uh, I was like, man, this is good stuff, you know? And, and we start learning more about people. And now, now like your voice and Lauren's voice, it's just like a normal voice. It's like, no, oh, I hear that all the time. So super cool to have you on here. Awesome. Well, yeah, well, you and I are both Oregon boys too. So there's a, there's that connection. Yep. I got pretty excited when I found out about that. John's like, Oh God, here's another bromance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> John's like, damn it. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I didn't know. I was putting these two Oregonians together. <laughs> Man. But, but you guys seriously got kind of, you guys tied in with John first. So, you know, John gets credit for like, you know, kind of bird dog and the whole thing. And, all that but super cool yeah well fun to be here so yeah had a had a good day on the river today and uh i'm always running out of bugs you know and this is the bug that uh <clears throat> that they're eating right now around here it's the hopper hatch so this is uh you know pink with polka dots is what you need mm -hmm. so, <laughs> yeah so john if you can tie me up some anything pink with polka dots while you're while you're at it there i'd appreciate it and just overnight them to me because i'll be guiding all week. Ooh, look at that thing wow <laughs> okay <laughs> this is just to commentate justin and right. uh, john are tying right now so john's tying <laughs> up some some buffalo bugs and justin is like he said tying up the uh terrestrial bugs for the hatch that they got going on but one of the cool things was was you get you and lauren and we were talking about this before we came on you guys just got back from alaska you guys were on the kenai peninsula um Speaking about bugs, I, what what are you guys up there? I, I know that a lot of sockeye fishing is uh, flossing, but what kind of bugs yeah. do you guys sling up there for salmon? 
Well, we, uh, let's see, we started out, you know, fishing for rainbows, um, using a bead, because everything up there is all, you know, centered around the salmon, of course. So the trout eat decaying salmon and, and eggs, and, and that's what they're after. So, you know, there you're just imitating an egg. And, uh, and the first day we went out, Lauren caught a nice dolly right out of the gate. Uh, we caught, you know, some nice rainbows and some smaller rainbows. And then uh, I really wanted to see one of those big Kenai rainbows because I've heard that they're just some giants in there, you know. And uh, we don't have many rainbows around here that, uh, you know, get up to like eight to 10 pounds and, and they get bigger than that in the Kenai, of course. But just to even see one like that in a river, you know, I mean, we have them, but they're lake fish and they're just not very many fish like that in, in the rivers in Montana and um, rainbows in particular. But uh, so anyway, she hooked one and, you know, the guide got excited. and He's a buddy of ours that invited us up there and. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Now we're, we're going to see one of these things. And, and she, man, she did a great job. She, she fought it well. And, you know, it's easy to lose a fish like that, especially with that rig and the long leader and snags everywhere. And, and uh, yeah, she got it in and, uh, and got this, you know, just gorgeous, massive, big, beautiful Kenai rainbow. So that was super cool. That's kind of how the trip started. And, um, and then, uh, you know, we got some sockeye, we got, uh, we got silvers the second day we went out to try to find silvers and um, we were throwing, um, I was actually fishing like crazy Charlie's bonefish flies. No and, shit. Yeah, <laughs> and, the, and the, pinks, <laughs> the pink salmon were eating them because I'd done it before. <laughs> I, I haven't fished Alaska a lot, but, uh, but I went up to another river called the Connectuck years ago and when there was like just a bunch of like humpies and chums and stuff and whatever rolling around the eddies we mm -hmm. threw crazy charlies at them and, and they ate them so anyway that's what i was throwing and uh and yeah we were hooking salmon on them and i was catching like mostly pinks and stuff we were trying to find a silver and and lauren jumped up on the bow and made like two casts and hooked a nice silver and landed this you know gorgeous silver that we got to take home so she got hot right out of the gate um and then uh then we went and kind of did a diy piece and we went to homer and uh and poked around these streams around homer and uh we it had been pouring rain for four or five days and the river looked good it was just kind of blown out you know i mean you know from like you get to the salettes and it's chocolatey you're like oh, ah, yeah. this will be good in two days and uh that's kind of what it looked like, but it, it looked like close enough that maybe, it, you know, if it stopped raining and thinking that that's a pretty small watershed and those have a tendency to clear up really fast. Um, so I was thinking, well, hell, this might be 24 hours away. I don't know. So we fished it a little bit and, uh, and didn't catch anything. And we were getting ready to leave. And this guy, there's a fly shop across the street <laughs> out there and alongside this, you know, little tiny stream on a back road. And and um the guy's like hey how'd you do and so we moseyed over and started chatting with him and you know he told us hey this is getting ripe guys like you should come back here tomorrow at 7 a.m high tides at 4 15 uh if you're here about 7 a.m it should be just right to catch a push of fish and i think the river's going to shape up and you should come give it a shot so we got it we canceled we were at this bed and breakfast that my buddy set us up with and just great bed and breakfast you know really good food and everything and uh, we had to call him and tell him that we wouldn't be there for breakfast, which kind of 
breaks their heart, I'm sure, because that's their pride and joy. And but anyway, so we we just got up and rallied at 6 a.m. and and got to that river at seven, and uh, and we got in the run. And about six casts in, my line goes tight uh, in the hang, on the hang down, you know, at the end of my swing. And, uh, and I'm thinking that I got a silver on because that's, you know, what's kind of on our minds. Of course, there's dollies in there. And the guy at the fly shop did mention he'd caught a steelhead a couple of days prior. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind anyway, of late, but yeah. Well, so, yeah, I didn't even anticipate there being steelhead in this part of Alaska that we were going to have a chance to fish for him on this trip. Um, but anyway, yeah, I got it in and, you know, I looked at it and I was like, geez, this isn't a silver. This is this sure shit this is steelhead so um yeah so awesome got a wild alaskan steelhead wow. like right out of the gate just on a Beautiful. diy ramble so yeah. unbelievable right and uh and then like i don't know i i kind of loaded out of there lauren jumped in right kind of where i was she's made a few casts and hooked up and she caught a big chrome silver on a swung fly right in the same run and and uh, we saved that one. And, and then, uh, man, we went through there several times and I lost a couple more fish, silvers, I think, but maybe another steelhead. I don't know, you know, just a just a hook up and a big surface chrome blow up and, and bang heartbreak. But uh, it was super cool. And uh, yeah, man, we just it was it was an awesome experience. And uh, we just got so damn lucky that we hit it at the right time like that. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it was just a really fortuitous thing i mean these days you're lucky if your flight even gets there on time let alone intercept a steelhead you know coming up the river <laughs> from five states away or whatever to you know <laughs> yeah. man what an so, adventure yeah, yeah it was no, cool. absolutely unreal and and being able to see it all too because you guys captured so much of that i have a dollar in my pocket but uh being able to capture so yeah i just found it it's, it's all right um, being able to capture all that for all of us to see was absolutely unreal. Like, oh, well, that's cool, man. Thank you. That's that's great and, to hear. Glad you enjoyed see, it. Yeah, dude, even getting to see some of the. So I have. Well, I guess I, I guess we take a little step back here. So Justin, we know who you are. <laughs> I, I've had the pleasure of meeting you in person. Yeah, that was great too. <laughs> yeah, I got to meet your boy. Yeah, dude. And but for our listeners who don't know who Justin Carnoff is, uh, why don't you give us a little bit about yourself, Dee? Well, um, I live in Missoula, Montana, with my wife Lauren and our two kids, Sawyer and Odessa. Um, and uh, we have a, a podcast called The February Room. Uh, I'm a fly fishing guide. I'm the owner of uh, CD Fishing USA, which we can get into a little bit later. But uh, um, and my wife uh, is a video editor, and uh, we just kind of make it work here. We love uh, we love to be in Missoula. We love the mountains and the rivers, and we, we hunt elk and and uh, you know kind of try to 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 live off the wild game that we procure over the season and. Uh, we fish as much as we can and, and spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, I ended up here um, kind of on a whim. I moved here in 2005 from Bend, Oregon, where I grew up. And um, I, I actually, I, I came out to college for a year in Bozeman. So I'd been to Montana and spent a little time here. And, 
and just decided that I kind of wanted to get back and, and wasn't sure where to where to go. And I kind of just ended up in Missoula by happenstance and and thought Missoula would be a good place to to go try out for a while because I was at the time I was doing a fair bit of uh, freelance writing for a number of magazines and and that was something I really kind of wanted to pursue and you know at least some um, some variation of outdoor media uh, where I could get a job and Missoula was kind of a hub for that so um, I thought hey if I just get myself there and get to work and meet people maybe I'll stumble into something and um, and lo and behold, I ended up uh, getting hired by this outdoor television company, and uh, that's where I met Lauren. So we met here. Uh, we both worked for the same outdoor TV company, and uh, you know, I was a producer, and I I started off running audio, the audio equipment in the field, and then I'd row the camera boats. You know, they just kind of wanted a guy that could do a bunch of stuff and had, you know, spent time in the outdoors and could write a little bit because I'd also write all the scripts for the shows and not all of them, but I was one of the writers. And uh, so, yeah, that, that job uh, was super fun and took me to a number of places around the world that I never would have got to go to otherwise. I mean, I don't know how I would have gotten there maybe, but, but uh Oh, it was fun. Uh, you know, so my, through my thirties, I got to travel a bunch and, and go fish a bunch of places and, and, uh, produce outdoor TV, which is a, you know, a dream job for a, a folks like us, a lot of us. So it was really a cool experience. And, um, yeah, and that's where Lauren and I met. And, um, we, uh, yeah, we've been married for 13 years and, um, now we're kind of, uh, you know, just, uh, pairing our, our two kind of fortes and ex uh, all of our experience and our uh, our strong suits together to to work on our on our podcast and our rod and reel distribution company that we have. So that's so, it in a nutshell. So what is so the February room is, is your podcast, and so what 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 was the inspiration behind the name, the February room? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's one that we, we get asked a lot. So uh, in the intro, we, we kind of try to give a general explanation of what a February room is. Um, but I'm sitting in our February room here. So this is where I come to tie flies in the wintertime or, you know, I reload my own cartridges and I, you know, sharpen arrows or whatever I'm doing for, for, uh, preparations for hunting and fishing I do it down here in the February room and Lauren started calling it that because I was down here all February so that kind of just became the name of of uh of this room and then some of our friends you know they've got their own February rooms and and uh yeah we just when we decided we were gonna launch a fly fishing podcast and what should we call it? Lauren decided, uh, I think we should call it the February room. I said, Hey, that's great. Most people want to know what the hell that is, but oh well, <laughs> it'll be fun. <laughs> and it, you know, but the, the, the podcast is awesome because you have so many different people like a lot of podcasts, but you guys also showcase a lot of other people and the way that you put the podcast together. It, it's really, uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's a lot different than just our general fishing conversations. Like we just went full bore off the top rope the first 20, you know, 10 minutes of, you know, this is what I did in Alaska and we were slamming fish, you know, and 
you know, you guys have like a, this really good flowing structure to your um, podcast and it's really easy to listen to. And, uh, you know, I would, I would encourage our listeners to really listen to it. Um, and yeah, the, the background of the February room, I, when I heard that, I was like, what is this? You know, cause when John told me about it, I was like, and then you have the explanation in the beginning and it was like, okay, that's cool. But you, you worked on a lot of TV shows and stuff like that. And I, I think I remember you telling some stories, um, about that. And, and you were working, for, wasn't it fly fishing the world that you did a lot of stuff for? Yeah. Yeah. I produced fly fishing the world uh, for several years. So that was one of um, four fly fishing shows that I worked on almost simultaneously, I think. Yeah. So yeah, fly fishing the world was, uh, was super fun as, as the name suggests, you know, we went everywhere for that one. So Mm -hmm. um for the most part kind of the host um or i chose the the destination so we both kind of got to kind of check off our bucket list during that uh the production of that show over the course of a few years so it was really fun his name's um conway bowman he's a mako shark guide out of san diego um and a really really good really good guy fun to work with um got along well with the crew and everybody so that's important because that's not always the case in that in that line of work or any yeah, line of work yeah exactly <laughs> well <laughs> yeah I, I could only imagine the challenges you know you being a fly fishing guide uh prior to that and and you were guiding here in oregon prior to doing all of this other stuff um, you know, kind of, kind of doing all that and then switching over and producing TV and all that. But you guys also worked for Steve Ranella, didn't you? Meat Eater? No. So, um, Dead Meat is the name of the show that Lauren works on. And okay. those two things get confused a lot. Um, okay. So yeah, no, uh, the, yeah, the, the TV show Dead Meat came out before Meat Eater actually. Um, so Lauren worked on it, um, you know, back in like 2012 or 2014, somewhere in there. And, um, and then when we moved back to long story, but we got relocated for work for a while to the Midwest. And then when we moved back to Missoula, um, she became a freelancer at that point. And, uh, and then now that the company that produces that show is now it's now independently owned by uh the host of the show and uh and somebody else i don't know but um anyway they hired her back so now she's work back working on uh on that tv series that she worked on all those years ago which is really cool that the show's cool. still around yeah and that they they uh wanted to go you know find her and hire her back because they liked her work and everything so yeah it's awesome so yeah, but no, not not to be confused with meat eater. Not, uh, yep, not uh, not quite that big of a deal. Okay. So, <laughs> Justin, I've got a I've got a question. <laughs> I'm gonna raise my hand here. So, is this the Space Invader? Is that yours? Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that is yeah. How do you how how do you know about that fly? <laughs> well, well, I I do a little homework every once in a while. And uh, so what was the inspiration for the Space Invader? Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah, um, back when I was still in Oregon, guiding on the Deschutes, or maybe I just moved here, but 
I can't remember. I think, yeah, maybe I just moved here. Anyway, I don't really recall. No, I was in Oregon. At any rate, I started designing flies for a company called Idlewild that was based out of Portland. And, um, and you know, they were like, okay, we'll get us some samples. And uh, so I did, you know, come up with some flies that I developed over the years and kind of fine tune them and, you know, make them uh, hopefully add a little more like bin appeal to them or whatever. And, uh, and the Space Invader, you know, about that time, like the intruder fly had kind of hit the steelhead world by, uh, you know, by full force. And so, you know, it incorporated ostrich drill for movement. The original ones that I saw, you know, there's lots of variations of that fly, but the original intruder that I was introduced to was supposedly tied by Deck Hogan. And then I was, you know, a guy named, yeah, a buddy of ours named Will Blair was friends with those guys. And he showed them to us in Redmond, Oregon. We had this fly shop there for a while. So, so anyway, my partner, you know, was all excited about these intruders and they were, you know, a different fly for sure and incorporated a lot of movement and that ostrich drill, the way it undulated in the water, I thought was so cool. So, uh, yeah, I kind of took those qualities of the intruder and kind of just put them on a woolly bugger and I started fishing it. It, it works super good. So, I mean, it's really just a souped up woolly bugger, but, you know, at the end of the day, all flies are just kind of some little tweaked version of another one. Right. So, I mean, yeah, got, so that's, that, that's the genesis of the space invader. Dude, but that's awesome though, <laughs> because, yeah, and, and you say it's just a souped up woolly bugger, dude, there, there's so many streamers are just souped up woolly buggers. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Most of them, in fact. Yes. Yeah. Good point. Now that flies back in production because it was gone for a while because Idle Wild Fly Company went away and, uh, and uh, now Montana Fly Company has picked it back up. So you can find it back in the fly bins now after all these years. And they do a good job with them, man. I, yeah, I bought some at a shop here recently and they tie them perfectly. I mean, they're way better than I can do. You know, that's the thing when you submit a fly to a company like that and then they send you their samples back for you to look at or you see them, you know, you're like, well, now I'm kind of embarrassed at the ones I sent you guys because <laughs> they look perfect. <laughs> Well, when you think about the difference, of, you know, you're out on the river guiding, you're looking for something that's, you know, you're tying it up, you're getting out there, you're putting it in front of fish. Your goal isn't necessarily to make the pretty fly. It's the fly that's going to catch the fish versus, you know, these people that, that tie eight hours a day, you know, five days a week. I mean, they're, they're, you know, kind of masters of their trade at that point, you know, they probably do it without even yeah. thinking. You tell them right. to go tie up a, you know, a cripple BWO or something like that. It's just like that done. Or, or, you know, yeah. all of woolly bugger done, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I guess that just comes out in that craftsmanship, but what a, what a cool thing. Did you tell them uh, when you bought those flies, like, Hey, you know, I actually invented this fly. <laughs> well, I was surprised to see it because, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. They, the company had been bought out or something and, um, I didn't know that, I mean, I'd sent them the samples, but then I hadn't really heard anything since. So I didn't really know what the status of of it was and so i saw him in the fly bin before i knew that they had even brought it back to market so anyway i contacted the guy at the fly company i was like uh what's up he's like uh we did not send you this and I'm like no he's like oh, i'm sorry man it slipped through the cracks you know i'm like whatever no worries man the world's been a crazy place i get it 
so anyway, no, I'm, I'm stoked that they, uh, they put them back on the market and, um, I can buy them now instead of tying them. Cause I used to have to tie them all the time too, when they weren't in commercial production, cause it's folks to just reach out to me every now and then and say, Hey man, can I, anyway, I could get a dozen of those. I'm like, well, God, it's just a souped up woolly bugger. You can probably do it yourself. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I imagine one day your name's going to be in a book somewhere. It's like, you know, and they're going to have like the, how to tie, you know, how they had like that. There's a book on like Western fly tie, you know, flies of the West or something like that. Yeah. There's probably a thousand of them out there titled that, but you know, yeah. it, it had, it had who tied it and everything else. And it's like, Oh, that works. Like, uh, well, you fished lower shoots a lot. You remember the Patriot streamer? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Dude. That thing yeah. was a murder, man. That thing had killed yeah. everything. Red sides and, and steelhead and everything. I'll have to, I, I gotta see, huh. I'll have to send yeah. John a picture of that, or maybe he can even look it up, but yeah, I, it was just the wildest thing. It's like, this ain't going to catch no fish. You know, it's a big red, white, and blue streamer, but <laughs> Yeah. There's something about red and blue in that river that just turns fish on. It makes them go ballistic. Absolutely, man. I used to tie a, a fly called the 4th of July fly because obviously I fished it when I went down to the lower river on the 4th of July. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's actually hung up right here. It's one of the few flies, one of the few flies that I kept. I'm not super nostalgic about flies like some people are, but this is one of the few that I've kept. Uh, can you oh, see that? It's just yeah. a it's a green butt skunk just tied in fourth of july colors and the biggest to shoot steelhead i've ever hooked i hooked on this on the fourth of july right above washout rapids and um it was right when i first started using a, a spay rod and uh you know the run i'm talking about yes i do yeah hot rocks yeah and uh you know hot rocks is a bear to wade and this one was way down at the bottom of hot rocks so it ran almost you know i mean it ran a good ways towards washout and then there's so much damn line out and then i you know out of my peripheral i see this steelhead jumping across the river from me over in front of uh the rancher's place and i'm like what the like that's my fish yeah <laughs> your line went down through the washout and came back it had gotten away from yeah that's how far uh, that fish got away from me and it that's it, a lot of line <laughs> Oh man, it, it kicked and flopped off and that was it. It was game over. I never oh. got it in, but that was the biggest oh, one I've ever hooked. It was, it was a big steelhead, man. It, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. I, I'm, a, I'm picturing the run right now. Like I'm picturing it and, and what people don't understand, you can't fish from a boat there. So it's not like, Oh, just hop in your boat and take off after it. You can't do that there. You're, you're no. planted in place. I mean, yeah, you can wade around a little bit, but the hole you're talking about sucks to wade. Like you said, it's yes, it does. Horrible, <laughs> horrible. Oh, man, you're swimming I, every time, man. Like, yeah, well, you yeah, you well always yeah. wet wade it because if you wear waders, you're going in anyway. If you're over there on the Fourth of July, who cares anyways? It's 120 degrees beating exactly. off the canyon, so you're going in. I mean, exactly. you might as well just pull a river runs through it and just go down through. It, you know, at that point, it's totally. But yeah. Yep. It, there's so many wild runs like that on that river, but yeah, definitely. Uh, wow. It went down and back up the other side. That's insane. In that heavy ass current right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And well, that's was... a testament to your rod too. I mean, to be able to still fight the fish with a big D in the line. Well, it was, like I said, I just learned how to use a spay rod. And the first spay rod that I had was this giant 14 foot eight weight that G Loomis used to make. Oh, and it was huge. <laughs> and like, you know, 
I didn't know any better, right? It was just the first one I was given and it was the one I was learning on. And, and, you know, I'd hooked a couple like four or five pound, you know, summer steelhead, those kind of standard smaller natives on it. And I was like, eh, these fish don't fight very hard on this rod. But anyway, I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I haven't had the full experience yet. I mean, I was in hindsight, I was just using way too much rod. But yeah, that's, I had this big giant 14 foot eight weight that's like built for king salmon. Yeah. So that's what I was using for the shoot steelhead. That was my first spare rod. And then, you know, eventually I was using a like a nine foot five weight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I'm a single hander guy. I don't have a spay rod. And I, to be a hundred percent honest, everybody can do their own thing. I have no interest in spay personally, but um, yeah, I have a, I have a nine weight single hander that I, that I use for yeah. salmon and end up hooking yeah. steelhead with it and all that. But um, I couldn't imagine a 14 foot rod <laughs> being waiting. Yeah. I mean, you got like a oh, yeah. whip in your hand, dude. It's That's too much. It's way too much. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it's like Euro nymphing to the extreme, like crazy double, oh. hand, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. That's a lot of rod, dude. <laughs> but I sucked. Right. I was terrible. It's fake casting and it was hard when we first i mean i don't well, know this you is were how learning. i remember it like, you were learning I was, so, I was learning but this is yeah. before like all the skagit heads and everything came out because oh, now i can okay. teach somebody how to spade cast in like a couple of hours and get them you know pretty much covering some water but back then like that they didn't have those lines they had like these mid spay they're really long tapered spay lines and you kind of had to be a good caster to throw them so that's probably why I used that rod too, because it was just so damn big and had so much backbone that even my cast sucked, it would at least put the line out there and I'd, I'd get a swing going. So that's probably why I was running that. Man. But it, anyway, it was too much rod. Yeah. <laughs> so CD fishing is composite developments. And yep. so how did, how did that come about to where you are today with CD fishing? If you don't mind me asking. No, of course. So, um, uh, CD, like, as you suggest, stands for composite developments, which is a rod company that's based out of Auckland, New Zealand. And, um, they've been around since 1981. So this is the 40th anniversary. Uh, well, last year, I guess was the, anyway, they're celebrating the 40th anniversary. Um, so uh, these guys were friends with um, a buddy of mine that was a retailer out of Sun Valley, Idaho, and he had several ski shops in the Sun Valley area, and then he had a fly shop in one of the ski shops, and he started carrying these rods and reached out to me and said, hey, man, uh, can I send you a couple of rods to go test out? I'd like your opinion on them. Go from there. So I said, yeah, absolutely. So, so he sent me two rods and I fished and guided with them for two years. And, uh, you know, in, in over the course of two years, I was, I liked the way they cast right out of the gate. I liked the way they fished right out of the gate. Um, but you know, I, I, like, I got to put this these through the ringer and, and, and see what happens. So anyway, I, I fished with them for, for two full seasons and, you know, had clients fish them and everything. And I was just sold on them. So it's like, yeah, man, I dig these rods. Uh, and he says, you know, Hey, uh, I'm looking kind of for somebody to help me move this thing along. 
uh, we're the new North American distributor for, for this, you know, brand. And I want you to come down and meet these guys. So great. So I, uh, flew down to California and my sister-in-law was living in, Her in Hermosa beach at the time. So it was great. I could visit them and stay with them and, and go meet, uh, these chaps from New Zealand. And, uh, we went out and like, you know, out on Manhattan beach or something and had lunch and had a chat and, and, um, you know, kind of formulated a, a game plan on on how to uh, bring cd into north america and uh and then you know at that point they kind of filled me in on what their what their company was all about and i learned that you know they were not only a fly rod manufacturer that they you know made every type of terminal tackle rod you could imagine and you know had their hands in a number of other you know fishing fly fishing related um endeavors and and uh so they were a distributor too for just you know fishing products throughout new zealand and and well known in europe and australia and that whole region kind of but just not here right so they um they uh really kind of wanted to establish and look into the possibility of moving their brand into the north american market so um the next day we went out fishing and i'll never forget it we uh we met at like five in the morning to go out to Catalina Island, we we're going to try to hit this uh, yellowfin or yellowtail bite. Sorry, because um, those the New Zealand guys are big into their yellowtail. Like that's one of the prize species in New Zealand is the, the yellowtail kingfish, what they call the haku, um, and so they have a whole rod line devoted to pursuing haku. Um, so they're all jacked up, and I, you know, I. I don't think I'd ever even fished for yellowtail. So I was like, whatever, these must be cool if these guys are that stoked about it. And this boat we're about to go on, certainly cool. And I also rented a Dodge, black Dodge Charger for that trip. So I'd show up in style and, you know, <laughs> hauling down the LA freeway at like four in the morning in the black Charger. Everyone thought I was a cop. So they just all pulled over and I, I made it to the Marina before anybody else. So, so that was cool. So that's, uh, that's how the trip started. And, uh, we loaded up with this captain who had this amazing boat called an ocean master. I'd never seen one before. And, uh, we were getting ready to head out to go hit this yellowtail bite. And part of the live well was missing. Like the, the, the tube, you probably know this better than I do, but, uh, anyway, some, tube to the live well some critical piece was gone and the captain had concluded that somebody must have stolen it the night before so anyway we can't go out after yellowtail if we don't have live bait so we missed the yellowtail bite but we end up going out and having this great time out on catalina island fishing around catch calico bass um got into bonita some other species i don't even know what they were and met these super cool people just had a great time and uh and so that's when you know we're like yeah all right we we see eye to eye on everything. Let's uh, let's see if we uh, if we can't make this work. So, um, about 2020, the gentleman that I'd been working with here in Sun Valley um, ended up having some health issues, and uh, he's gotten them all resolved now. It's all good. But uh, uh, anyway, he's like, man, I, I don't know if I'm going to continue with this. Want to take the helm? And and so we worked out a deal, and uh, and then Laura and I became the North American distributorship based out of Missoula in 2020. So that's where we're at now. And we have uh, a rep group here in Montana, Idaho and Wyoming called Hart Montgomery that, uh, that uh, has, you know, longstanding relationships with a number of fly shops and dealers. And so they're out there getting our, 
our brand, our rods and some stores and stuff. And we're making progress. You know, it's a, it's a process. COVID has been a challenge. Um, and, uh, you know, the, we fortunately haven't had many supply chain issues, but that has been an issue relative to shipping um, and tariffs have changing in any way. So there's been a, a bunch of challenges, but it's been a learning process and we're, uh, we're navigating the terrain and, uh, and doing what we can to get uh, our rods in people's hands and, and what I, you know, just love about the brand one, the, the people, the Kiwis are such great folks. They're, it's a family owned business. Uh, they do things the right way. They're anglers, they're engineers, they're smart people, and they're really, you know, devoted anglers. Um, so I dig them. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just something for, for every need within the CD line. Like, you know, a lot of the other rod companies that I've been exposed to over the years make great stuff. Right. And I've fished with, guides and stuff all over the all, lots of places saltwater and and uh you know all sorts of freshwater realms and everything and um it's always like oh i like you know this rod from this brand and this rod from this brand and that's you know but but cd makes something for every style of fishing that i do that i really like and so i love that there's this one brand that makes kind of everything that I like and everything that the people that I tend to fish with like and want. And, um, you know, in addition, they have, um, in addition to their standard rods, they have uh, a company called Trist, which is uh, travel setups. Like um, the Trist Allfly, for instance, is a, a nine foot five weight that you can change into a seven, eight weight and you can extend it to 10 feet and it all comes in this tri-folding magnetic rod tube. And they make stuff like that for spin fishing and like, so you can just take two rods with you and go on your trip. Like when Lauren and I went to Alaska, um, we just took two all flies with us and we used that for everything. We used it for rainbow fishing on the Kenai. We used it for throwing streamers for silvers. We put the, screwed the spay handle in and you know I got the steelhead swinging with the spay rod. And like, you can do everything with this one tool. It's like a multi-tool. And, you know, I, I don't like to mess around with gear a lot, man. I'm not, I'm not a real big gear guy. I just want stuff that works that I can grab and go and keep organized. and and um, and that's that's CD in a nutshell because that's what those guys do. Yeah, they have some awesome stuff. You know, there's just so many cool things that um, they they make. And I went back after after listening to the podcast and hearing you know brought to you by CD Fishing USA. I I went on the website as like, dang, these guys got some cool stuff. And and you're right, their their graphite composite engineering is is something. It's definitely top notch for sure i would love to get one in my hand sometime just to feel it and you know fling some bugs because that i you know i i'll have to look around here i'll find a shop that carries it and, or i can talk to you but definitely i gotta i want to get one in my hands and try it out yeah well well i got a buddy in uh, portland now that's helping me out so i'll put you in touch with him absolutely that would be sweet yeah, awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll make that happen for sure. So I got this super sweet chance to cast one at the fly fishing festival here in Texas, where we where we officially got to meet each other. And dude, that was sick. Like that that rod felt so good. That was the uh, you you talked it up too. Like I was doing something real special. Um, you you were the first. You were the first uh, person in North America to throw the new um, down under eight weight. I hadn't even casted that one yet. I just put it together and John walks up and we start chatting 
And, uh, yeah, you know, at the end of the conversation, we're finally like, well, hell, you better cast a rod, you know, here we're sitting here bullshitting the whole time. Let's get down to business. You better cast one of our rods. So anyway, I handed him that one and yeah, he was the, the, the first guy to throw that rod. So, um, and after that, it, I sent it with a buddy to Belize and he caught like 30 some bonefish on it. And, um, but yeah, you christened it there. So that was pretty cool. Dude, it, it casted so well, honestly, so well. And I'm, I'm not the most amazing caster on the planet by any means, but that was, that was super fun. And I, I just appreciate meeting you and dude, you, you, you've done all these awesome things, but one, something that kind of not, not to gas you up here or anything, but like one of the things I really appreciate about you as Justin Carnoff is you're, you're down to earth, dude. Like, yeah, you're not, you're not some D bag. Like you've done a lot of really awesome stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, dude, like you're incredibly approachable. You and Lauren are just, you guys have been so absolutely so kind and uh, mm -hmm. welcoming to us as friends. And I uh, just have to say we, we, well, uh, I think I can speak for Brian and myself yeah. that we really appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you guys. I mean, we're just a couple of hardworking outdoor folks like you guys, just trying to, trying to navigate the path and, um, you know, make a living doing something that we love and, uh, and share it with our kids and, um, do what we can to, to help, uh, preserve it for the next generation too. You know, uh, that's always something that you, you wonder, can I, what can I be doing? What can I, you know, can I be doing more to, to protect these places that we love? And, uh, I think just, you know, affiliate yourself with like-minded folks and, and, um, join, um, whatever organization appeals to you and whatever you think's worth fighting for. And, and get on board and um yeah and uh, be an advocate for whatever whatever resource it is out there that uh that you're passionate about i i will uh, go ahead brian yeah i can't say it any better myself and you know uh that's that's so cool and yeah john spoke for me right there i i you know we we can't say enough and tell you enough of how much we appreciate your guys's friendship and I don't want that to sound like we're signing off because I got one more thing. All right. Oh, sure. Because, because, <laughs> well, like, because well, likewise, man. Thank, thank you, guys. They, yeah. they feel the exact same way. So. Um, you're a guide. And 90% yes, of the time, I, I listen to podcasts and I've listened to yours. I've listened to a lot of others. I'm only going to list yours because this is, you're the man of the hour. Like you're, you're on Johnny Carson and Dean Martin. <laughs> you know, this is a roast. You're the man of the hour. But I hear more guides bitch about like bad clients and like good clients, <laughs> but yeah. everybody has like their bad client, like their pain in the ass. Like I probably would never book a fly fishing guided trip because I can't cast to save my life. I like literally just rip the bug out there and say, fuck it. And if it gets hit then it gets hit. But, um, you know, what, out of all your trips, you guys ask, what's your most memorable, you know, fish fishing experience, but out of all your trips as a guide, what, what was, the, what was the worst guided trip you ever guided? If you were to think right now on the fly, what, what was the worst? Well, I mean, I, you know, I've obviously, I've been asked this question before, uh, <laughs> and, and I've certainly pondered it before. Like, okay. Second, second I've worst. Certainly, yeah. I've certainly, well, no, I mean, it's just, you know, like you said, guide talk, right? Like yeah, a bunch of guides get together and start hanging out and the stories come out. So you hear a lot of them. Um, 
but uh, I, I, and I, I, I so I'm, I'm going to tell you the one that's I think has a positive turn on it. Um, but it was certainly the most stressful guide day that I've ever had. And um, that was the day that uh, I, I had a, a gal, her and her husband, we were fishing on the upper Blackfoot. And uh, uh, it was during a, a weather event that was, you know, building in force. So I'm kind of keeping an eye on the weather. The fishing is really good because of that, right? It's all cloudy and overcast and those conditions that the trout love. And, uh, but I'm kind of keeping an eye on the sky and, and uh, anyway, this storm starts kind of descending upon us and a couple other boats are out there and, you know, they're heading for the barn or heading for the bank. And I'm like, oh, we got to get out of here, guys. We got to go hunker down. And right about that time, I'm leaning over to land a fish for the husband and I turn around and the wife has taken her sunglasses off do the cloud cover and has her line piled up right in front of the boat. And I'm just like one of those slow motion, like, no, but she goes to pick it up. And when that, when you do it under that circumstance, it just brings the line right back into the boat and it just hooks her right through the eye. So she's, and she's hooked in the eyeball, mind you. And uh, um, so, yeah, we, I, rode out of there as quickly as I could. I covered her eye up with gauze and, uh, and just, you know, made it protected and kind of stationary. Um, and, uh, we got out of there as quickly as we could. Um, for some reason back then, it seems like my cell phone worked in places where it doesn't work now, but somehow I was able to get a signal and, um, or no, how did that work? No, we ran into the ranch manager, the dude ranch they were staying at. And he took them into town. Yeah, that's right. He, he took them into town to the hospital. And I called the outfitter on my phone and um, told her what was going on and, and uh, went, rushed down to the hospital um, and, you know, got there just in time to have the doctor tell her that uh, she was going to have to go have this surgically removed by the ophthalmologist who was coming into the hospital and and right about that time the door opens and you know their daughter walks in and she's got a cast on her arm because she got bucked off a horse that day at the dude ranch for their daily activity so you know here's this nice couple and they've got the kids went horseback riding she gets bucked off a horse breaks her arm the folks go on their nice fly fishing date and she hooks herself through the eyeball. So their Montana vacation has just gone up in flames. And, um, and man, you know, I left the hospital not knowing what happened. And, uh, and a a while later uh, I got a a card from her and um, they had removed the, well, I guess I, I found that out. I found out that she was okay, but anyway, so she, she sent me a card and, um, you know, kind of explained everything. And, and the doctor said that, uh, you know, it had it been a barbed hook, she would have lost that eye for sure. But oh, I had debarbed, I had debarbed the hook. Um, so that, that kind of saved her, saved her. But um, yeah, I got this really nice letter from her and um, about how it was a, uh, despite the, the uh, uh, stress and, um, gravity of the situation that she just appreciated the way that I responded to it. And it was one of those things like, who knows what you're going to do in a situation like that. It's kind of just a panic, but it all worked out. So yeah, wow. that was, the, that was the most stressful guy day. In fact, after that, I, uh, 
I retired from guiding. So this is my, currently I'm in my third, I think, stint as a fishing guide. So I guided <laughs> in Oregon and then I quit and I moved to Montana and then I guided in Montana and then I got hired by the TV company. So I quit. Is this my fourth stint? And then I think in 2014, when Lauren got pregnant, uh, I got my license back. Um, yeah, I got my license back to make some extra dough for the kid. Uh, and then I didn't guide for him. And then I got it back. So yeah, I think this is the fourth time I've had a guide license. Wow. Well, yeah. what a story. <laughs> Dang, know, man. Good thing or not. It's like uh, being a bartender, man. It's something you can always go fall back on. Yeah, well, that that's that's the good part, you know. I mean, not that not that uh, you know it wouldn't be fun to guide, but I do know that it's a, a very challenging job, and I always tip my guides really well whenever I go out with a guide. I, I make sure I tip them, even though I, in a lot of cases it's just like, dude, what are we doing today? Drive the boat. I know how to cast, do this stuff, and they're like, yeah, okay, and they just kind of kick back, and like I said, they'll eat pizza or fried chicken or whatever and yeah we, we just chicken. fish dude yeah well uh, uh, that's another story the, but yeah that's the staple yeah yeah <laughs> the staple of the guide diet but yeah no yeah. i mean guiding I, I you know guiding you just have to figure out what amount of guiding works for you um and so that it doesn't interfere with your love of fishing is the big one for me. Um, so, you know, now I, I just guide like 50 days between April and October. And that's like a, a fun, manageable level. It keeps me excited about it. You know, here I am, time flies for tomorrow. I didn't used to do that when I guided every day, right back in the day. Um, and then it's just such a great way to, to network and meet people. And, and uh, the guides are great. I, you know, all the guides that I work with around here are all really fun to be around too. So it's a cool it's my little fraternity, you know, I don't, uh, I don't go down to the Elks club or the sons of Norway. So <laughs> the guide <laughs> yeah. community is kind of my little community. So cool. So, Absolutely cool. Right on. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the horror story when we're on the shoots together sometime, it'll be better told. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll, it'll well, be better told in the, at the scene of the crime. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's just plan on that. Let's plan on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sounds good. Yeah. We're, we'll yeah. We're still here. Cool. Dude. So you've been guiding for, for this is your fourth stint back at it. Yeah. And so when you were in Oregon, you were guiding there as well. That's correct. Or yeah, on, on the Deschutes primarily. I guided a little bit on the John Day for Smallmouth. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Um, guided uh, a little bit on the Crooked River too. We used the Crooked as kind of our training grounds for our classes and stuff. So I guided the Crooked. Um, and but yeah, Crooked and primarily the the, the Deschutes and um, you know both single day and then the multi-day trips on the Deschutes uh, those were my favorite to to guide and and then later on when I got my own outfitting um, license I was more often uh, than not the the cook and the uh, you know the camp camp gear guy was my favorite job so um, that's the best job on the river you go down ahead of everybody and set up camp and then you've got 
time to yourself to fish or whatever and then cooking food for everybody I you know really liked to camp cook and and um yeah that 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 was always kind of my favorite job but so I kind of was trying to become a camp a camp cook when I had my own outfitting business but then you know people always wanted to go fish with you the owner of the outfitting business so um anyway but yeah the multi-day trips were they were a lot of fun it's just you know you see such neat stretches of the river there on the Deschutes um when you do those overnighters you know whether it's from trout creek to harpham or you know max canyon to the mouth it's just wild country you're away from the roads you know the railroads down there but that just kind of becomes part of the whole landscape um so yeah it's just it's a really neat fishery and it was a it was a cool place to guide but it was a really hard place to guide um there's a lot of other stories about that it's physically demanding um there's no fishing allowed from the boat so really hard for most you know your average client to wade and successfully fish on that river um so it's a hard place to guide man anybody that guides on the shoots for a number of years is is a pretty tough tough cookie man it's 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 tough sledding so when i came out to missoula and looked around here and realized that there was like three main river systems and everybody's floating down in rafts and people are fishing out of the rafts and i'm like well this looks pretty darn easy um so so uh, like well maybe i'll give this guiding thing another shot so um but you know then what you have is you have this giant learning curve right because here in missoula we guide on on i guide on four i got on five different rivers and several lakes right around here and those are you know within any given day i could go to one of 30 or 40 different boat ramps within an hour and 30 minutes or whatever so you have to know such this vast you know dynamic water dynamic river system around here uh the clark fork watershed is huge it's the by volume the largest watershed in montana and um within that you have the bitterroot and the blackfoot and then you have you know rock creek and you have um all the other little tributaries that feed into those rivers so just a lot of water to learn, a lot of, you know, boat ramps to learn and takeouts to learn and learning the nuances of those floats and which bugs work when. And, and I'm not even, you know, near as knowledgeable as a lot of the guys around here that have been doing this forever. And, um, but you always learn something new, man. And this place will never tire you out because there's a bunch of stuff in my own backyard I haven't even seen yet. And, you know, then we, we have the Missouri river too. We go over there and work a little bit and fish and that's a world-class world-class tailwater fishery so that's its whole whole nother animal than the from the freestone streams we have here and and uh then i guide a little bit for pike and um which is super fun and that's badass so, well it's just a fun variety you know like yeah. uh, you just you know you really don't get bored here um because you can go someplace new every day and see different country every day if you want um so yeah it's just it's there's just a lot of options um throughout the season and you know pretty good dry fly fishing still despite the increased number of anglers that we have out here but uh but yeah it's a it's a neat place to neat place to guide some so um uh, i guess i keep going back to it so i must love it huh or i'm crazy one of the two <laughs> it's a it's a, a pain and love and everything else at the same time yeah right Man. yeah so How'd you, not how'd you get into, but how on earth did Pike end up in Montana? Like, 
Well, that's a good question. So the episode that airs tomorrow, the February room, well, I don't, we're not going to know what day this is, but anyway, the one that airs Tuesday, August 23rd. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that one takes it. We take a real deep dive into, into Pike um, with a local angler here who, who has been here and fished his whole life and knows a lot about him, a lot more than I do. And um but so that's a good one to listen to if you have any questions about Montana pike. But uh, to answer your question, um, there's some evidence that suggests that pike may have been native to um, a particular watershed in Montana. So in Montana, we have, you know, obviously on the Continental Divide, everything west of the Continental Divide from the Clark Fork drainage runs into the Pacific. Everything east of the Missouri goes into into uh, the Gulf of Mexico, into the Mississippi eventually, um, and then. Uh, up in a little corner of, of Northwest Montana, there's a little watershed up there that run, actually runs into Hudson Bay. So I didn't know that until a few years ago, but uh, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. We actually have rivers that throw into, flow into three separate oceans, essentially. Um, but uh, so there's, there's evidence that suggests that pike were native up in that area. Um, but that's, I don't think that's been confirmed. Um, the, the gentleman we had on the podcast, Neil Cote, told me that uh, he was of the understanding that pike were first in the Clark Fork in 1957, which kind of blew my mind when he told me that, because all the other estimates that I'd heard were much later than that, like in the 80s and 90s. And um, But, uh, but uh, yeah, if that's the case, then they've been coexisting with trout for a long, long time here in the Clark Fork drainage. Um, now, I don't know if there's other places in Montana where they were introduced earlier than that or not. But that's the earliest that I've personally heard of pike being in, in uh, the rivers of Montana. That's badass. <laughs> so, well, yeah, you know, it's obviously really controversial, right? Because a lot of the a lot of the trout anglers, I mean, let's face it, people don't come to Montana to, to fly fish for pike. They come here to fly fish for trout. And a big part of our economy is based on that. Um, and so uh, it's not without reason that some folks are pretty concerned about the number of pike in these world-class trout fisheries. Um, but that being said, um, it seems like they've been together for a very long time and our trout fishing is solid and maybe it's not as solid as it could be, but I, I think it's pretty damn good. Um, and our pike fishing is pretty damn good. Um, so for those of us that like to pursue a variety of species, I like having pike around. Um, I love to fish for them. Um, I love to eat them. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think that, uh, I think they're a great, great fly rod fish, man. It's, they're super mm -hmm. fun to pursue and they're smart and it's a whole nother ball of wax that I'm trying to learn more about all the time. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, they're, they're not a, they're not a easy fish to stay on top of, man. They move around a lot throughout the water column throughout the season and, and um, the timing of all of their activity that affects their, their feeding and their aggressiveness and everything is uh, it's a, it's a lot to, lot to comprehend. Man. Well, Justin, I hate to do this because I think we could carry on for a couple hours, but we are coming up on the clock. <laughs> Well, good. Well, I got my four flies done, so I'm all set, man. Um, that ain't yeah, bad. It's great. No, that'll get me through a day. Cool. 
Well, so Justin, where can people find you at? Obviously, we've we've talked about cdfishing.us. We've talked about the February room. Uh, obviously, they can look you up on Instagram, but where where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, Justin Carnop at cd-fishing.us. Um, and uh, we actually have a, I have a website called justincarnop.com too that I probably don't look at enough, but it has some of my writing and television production and media stuff on there so people can go on there and and see some of uh some of my work and some of my annex um but yeah email's good or or uh hit us up on instagram at uh, my personal handle is just at justin carnop so uh, i don't have to be justin carnop 15 or anything because it's kind of an unusual name i guess so uh <laughs> but yeah and then uh, at cd fishing too for for our rod business we end up posting a lot of stuff on that that i i'm way more active on that than i am on my personal social media stuff so we'd appreciate anybody following us on there checking us out and the yeah. february room as well so well guys i really appreciate uh, you having me on man this has been a lot of fun um sure we'll cross paths here pretty soon hopefully dude and just that thanks for coming on man and it's it's been fun time flies and talking with you and catching up some and it's just it's been, it's been a blast dude just thanks <laughs> you too guys yeah man this has been great so we'll see you down the road yeah well, you, got a, thank you. you got an open invite to come come fish out here whenever so absolutely well we'll de definitely i want to take you up on it i know john and i we've we've had some ideas going around too so definitely want to take you up on that we're like hmm, man idaho montana that's looking pretty good you know we we could go have a good time there so yeah need definitely to do a, for sure but justin do a road trip yeah for sure but uh you know justin thank you so much for coming on we could we could talk for hours probably about steelhead honestly and salmon yeah, sure. but it, it's just it for me it's so cool there again to have have another guy out there in the you know that that knows the fishery that knows how cool it is and but also has diversity in fishery and just you know re reiterating what you know john said earlier uh, thank you to you and lauren both for what you do for the fishing community and being so open and warm and welcoming and and willing to communicate with everybody and just being cool people all around you know that's that's just a big thing to us and you know just being good people uh, you know you guys have a lot of experience under your belt but man, it's so cool to meet people like you guys that, that have so much experience and so much background and knowledge. But thank you so much. Oh, well, that's awesome, man. I really appreciate you saying that. It means a lot. I'll let Lauren know. So thank yeah. you guys, man. Likewise, keep up the good work over there. Thank you. <laughs> keep keep entertaining it. us. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Try to. <laughs> See you guys. See you, dude. Take care. Well, everybody, this episode of Working Class Fishing was brought to you by Troutlander Nets, Maxon Outfitters, Lidrig, Angry Rooster Fly Company, and Morris Fly Co. Uh, go check out our sponsors. Go check out Justin and Lauren's podcast at the February Room. Go check out CD Fishing. Honestly, really great rods. I've personally had the opportunity to cast them. So um, go, go check them out. Show them some support. And uh brian you got anything but no that's it john you summarized it pretty good there again go check out the february room podcast that's where you can hear justin and lauren talk to a lot of very cool people each week um and do do check out their businesses as well
For us, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always email us at workingclassfish at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram. That's probably our most prolific under Working Class Fishing Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook under WC Fish or the Working Class Fishing Podcast page. You can find us on YouTube at Working Class Fishing Podcast, the Go Wild app under Working Class Fishing. And you can pretty much find us uh, uh, anywhere on any of the listening platforms, Apple, Spotify, uh, anywhere. So just type in Working Class Fishing Podcast and you will find us on those platforms. If this is your first time listening, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you like some visual content there, again, go over to our YouTube page. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.